Well, hello, and welcome back to the Sensory Reformed podcast. Pastor Zach here with you today, and we're going to be thinking today about the place of gratitude in the Christian life, especially as it pertains to the uh, Ten Commandments and to uh, Christian worship. I was uh, struck just uh, a couple of days ago as we were uh, working through our Heidelberg Catechism in our Catechism service as I was realizing that we are already well past halfway through uh, 2023. Um, we've actually been uh, through 32 Sundays by the time this episode was recorded, and really the year is flying by, and um, I think it's especially uh, going quickly when I compare it to uh, the year 2020 and how slow that year went. It makes this one feel like it's just flying. Um, but the reason I uh, was reflecting on that is that within our church and within our Dutch Reformed tradition, we um, uh, utilize our Heidelberg Catechism, which is divided into 52 uh, Lord's Days according to the 52 weeks of the year. And um, it's, uh, it's really a, quite a strange tradition to many, but I find it to be very uh, wonderful, uh, one that we've um, observed for about 450 plus years that over the course of the calendar year, we teach through the uh, Heidelberg Catechism, which then provides the uh, basic Christian doctrines that our congregation is um, assured that they will hear and hear explained and taught uh, in depth uh, each and every uh, year. And uh, we do that in our second service. We have two services each Lord's Day, two different services, and our congregation is asked to attend both of them. Uh, traditionally speaking, our catechism service is on uh, Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening, and uh, like I mentioned, we just arrived at the 32nd uh, Lord's Day, and uh, that, that uh, 32nd Lord's Day is a transition into the uh, third and final section of our catechism, which is on Christian living. And that section on uh, Christian living, that third and final section, it really can be summarized with one word, and that is the word gratitude. Gratitude, uh, as that third section, it stands and is built upon the first two sections of the Catechism, which uh, articulate and teach about guilt and also grace. So the Catechism moves in the same um, uh, unfolding fashion as the Book of Romans, from guilt to grace, and then to uh, the life of Christian gratitude. We understand gratitude in a very all-encompassing broad way as encompassing our response in word and in deed to God's good gifts toward us. He um, has given us the gift of himself in Christ by the Spirit and the saving gifts we find, we find in union with Jesus Christ, again, by the Spirit. The grateful Christian life is one of humility because we see ourselves as unworthy recipients the grateful Christian life is a joyful life because we recognize Christ as our Savior and the Holy Spirit as the gift of the Father and the Son. Uh, the grateful Christian life is also an obedient Christian life, and that's kind of where we're heading today. Uh, this obedience is, of course, never perfect in this life, but there is new obedience that does occur. 
And while it is imperfect in this life, it is nevertheless sincere. Jesus teaches in John 14, verse 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. That's that posture of gratitude toward God, that posture of love. So, have you, listener, recognized your guilt? Have you received the grace of God in Christ? Then the obvious question is, how can you not be grateful and love him from that heart of gratitude? This intimate connection between gratitude and obedience is why our Heidelberg Catechism spends much time in the third section explaining the Ten Commandments. And that is why I want to spend this episode sharing some reflections on the Ten Commandments and Christian worship. But let me first pose the question, should we use the Ten Commandments in worship? For many, this seems too obvious to even ask, but others might hesitate. Won't the Ten Commandments offend people? There are many reasons to employ the Ten Commandments in worship. Here are just a few reasons. First, they're the Word of God. So important that God even inscribed these words on tablets of stone. Second, Psalm 19 tells us that God's law conveys wisdom and joy, things we sorely need. Third, the moral law is already inscribed on the human heart, the conscience. So the Ten Commandments being read and utilized helps us to better know ourselves and also the creation we inhabit. Fourth, the moral law is conducive to humility, and humility makes for a more gracious and welcoming Church of God. Fifth, the Ten Commandments highlight our perpetual need for our Savior Jesus Christ, in whom are found all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. The sixth reason to use the Ten Commandments in worship Jesus himself affirmed their importance by regularly quoting them and clarifying their meaning. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, the, Beatitude, or the uh, Sermon on the Mount, pardon me. Seventh, the apostles regularly quote them, like in Romans 2, Romans 13, and James chapter 2. Eighth, even when not explicitly quoted, there are many allusions to them throughout Scripture. Ninth, the Ten Commandments are one of the two great summaries of God's moral law, alongside the two great commandments. Tenth, they have long been utilized in the Christian church as part of the catechetical process that is associated with making disciples, not just making decisions for Jesus Christ. So, having considered whether they should be used in worship, Let's now ask the question, how should we use them in worship? Again, many things could be said, but let me provide a few thoughts as to how they should be used in worship. They should be used with reverence, not flippantly or informally. Remember, when these words were delivered on Sinai, the mountain and the earth shook and the people trembled. They could be read by a minister toward the congregation, the minister operating as the ambassador of God, or they could be recited by the congregation. In Psalm 50, verse 16, 
God speaks to people who flagrantly ignore the Ten Commandments and says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? We can discern from that psalm and verse that it was commonplace for God's people to not only listen to those statutes, but also to recite them, and the godly Christian should. When we do that in worship, we are indicating our obligation to walk in those paths. We are owning those words for ourselves. This is one of the reasons that we often read the Ten Commandments responsibly within our particular church, not only to hear God's law, but also to recite it, to better own those statutes and our failures. This also greatly aids in memorization. So, what goals should we then have in our reverent use of the Ten Commandments in our worship? There are two primary goals that I'd like to note. The first is often called the pedagogical use or goal. The second is often called the normative use or goal. The pedagogical use, it sounds like pedagogy or teaching, is to teach us of our sins, to be a schoolmaster unto Christ, to expose our need for Jesus. Romans 3 verse 20 says, Through the law comes knowledge of sin. Or Romans 7 verse 7, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. This first goal or use, teaching us of our sins, is described wonderfully in the Heidelberg Catechism. In the second Lord's Day, how do you come to know your misery? The law of God tells me. Or toward the end of the Catechism, it asks a question about why we should preach the Ten Commandments, and it answers, so that all our life long we may more and more come to know our sinful nature and thus more eagerly seek the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. If you are listening and you are a pastor or church leader and you have the liturgical goal of humbling and convicting the congregation, then it would be good to have a confession of sin follow the Ten Commandments. Often a reading of the Ten Commandments and subsequent confession of sin comes at the start of the service, in order that a spirit of humility and the forgiveness of sins in Christ pervades the rest of the liturgy. But perhaps you're not a church leader, and maybe you're a parent, or maybe you're just thinking about your own private devotions. How wonderful is it to use the moral law of God, summarized in the Ten Commandments, to remind ourselves, perhaps our friends, our children, whoever's at our dinner table, of the importance of turning always to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins as we come to him in humble confession. So that first goal or use, often called the pedagogical one, teaching us of our need for Jesus. A second goal that we have in our use of the Ten Commandments in worship is the normative goal, that is, that our lives be normed by the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God. This is instruction in grateful Christian living. Recall, having come to know our guilt, and then God's grace, how do we then live a life of gratitude? Well, the Ten Commandments provides us with that blueprint. 
the very same moral law that convicts us also instructs us. In this way, the moral law is doubly precious. If you are a parent or a pastor, maybe you're even leading worship services, it is good to make sure that a prayer for the confession of sins does not only ask for forgiveness, it should also ask for the renewal of our hearts, such that we learn to obey the law. True repentance does not only turn from sin, it also turns toward righteousness, which is a turn back toward the moral law. This ensures that the congregation, or maybe your children, or just yourself, that you don't view the law as merely a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ, but that the law is also the same law that our merciful Savior gives us within his school. We are disciples, after all, are we not? That means we're learners within the school of Jesus. Thankfully, within Christ's school, disciples need not fear the law's curse, but instead we conform ourselves to its moral precepts, being freed from condemnation. Not only should this be expressed in a prayer of confession, but the Ten Commandments could also be used at the close of a worship service, putting the liturgical focus on the importance of the law to instruct us. At our church, the Ten Commandments is a common song that we sing to close out our worship service. Thus, it becomes a psalm of self-commitment and self-consecration. Per Psalm 50, verse 16, we are reciting his statutes. Having heard the word of grace in the sermon, and having celebrated the meal of grace, the Lord's Supper, we go forth into the world with hearts of gratitude, ready to live for God's glory by keeping his precepts, the Ten Commandments. So, thus far, what are our goals in utilizing the Ten Commandments in worship, whether public worship or even private and family worship? But let me close with a final question. What is at stake here? What if we refuse to use the Ten Commandments in worship? To be clear, I'm not suggesting that we have to use them every single Sunday or every day of our lives in our private worship or family worship. In our church, we regularly substitute the two great commandments instead. Nevertheless, what if we are unwilling to employ the moral law and unwilling to use the Ten Commandments ever? Well, on one hand, you are not prioritizing something that God prioritizes in his word. The Ten Commandments are exceedingly important. Being out of step with God is not a good place to be. You are also introducing a strong possibility of self-righteousness if you don't use the Ten Commandments. The more unfamiliar we are with God's law, the harder it will be to recognize our own sin, since the law does teach us of our sin by showing us what true love really means. I would also suggest that by marginalizing God's law, you create an environment for man's law. As the old saying goes, nature abhors a vacuum. Remove the Ten Commandments, and you often start to exalt the man-made commandments of, of people and begin to treat those as boundary markers within the church, within a family, within society. Along with man-made legalism, 
The marginalization of the Ten Commandments can also lead to antinomianism, anti-nomos, or anti-law. One expression of this is commonly seen in our day, which is to act like there are no commandments that we are commanded to keep. People exclaim, we are free from the law, not recognizing that that phrase means that we're freed from law's curse. Of course, Christ gives us commandments, and the Ten Commandments are just as much his commandments as, any, as, as God's. After all, Christ is God. He was there at Sinai delivering the Ten Commandments. Let's not imagine that Christ's words are only those found in the Gospels in red letters. No, indeed, the entire Bible is a red-letter book. The last danger related to sidelining the Ten Commandments is that it is hard to learn to prioritize and celebrate God's law if it's not prioritized and celebrated within a worship service. In Psalm 119, verse 97, the psalmist declares, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. It's hard to imagine how a Christian church or a Christian family could share that confession unless the law of God is actually part of the regular rhythms of worship and of life. Well, I hope today you've been encouraged to think about the grateful Christian life as one where the Ten Commandments and the moral law of God is very, very important. Being built on top of guilt and grace, we then go forth in gratitude. And therefore, if we want to confess with the psalmist, oh, how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. Let's endeavor to reclaim the moral law of God, found in summary form in the Ten Commandments and Two Great Commandments, and make that part of our church, our families, and our lives. Well, thanks for joining us this week on the uh, Cincy Reformed podcast. Please uh, check out our other episodes at cincyreformed.org. Please check out our church at westsidereformed.org. We'd love to have you join us and to join our catechism service even to learn more about the particular teachings of the Ten Commandments and how they do guide the Christian life. And regardless, we hope that this is an encouragement to you to live your life for Christ's glory. Thanks, and we hope to have you join us next week. Bye-bye.